0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ إن خَلَقْنَاكُمْ مِنْ ذَكَنٍ وَأُنْثَى وَجَعَلْنَاكُمْ شُعُوبًا وَقَبَائِلَ لِتَعَارَفُوا إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the best of you being the most noble being atqaakum, those who have the greatest level of taqwa so now <clears throat> what we want to speak about is that you know when the nikah ceremony takes place that akdun nikah takes place the imam who's officiating the nikah he recites uh, the khutbah which we call the khutbah and in there, there are three verses which are recited. Ya yunasu inna khalaqa nakum min thakri wa antha. Ya yunasu taqu rabbakum. Ya yunasu taqu rabbakum nadi khalaqa kum min nafs wa hida. An ya yunathina min taqul laha hakatu qatih. Walla tammu illa wa antum muslimun. Ya yunathina taqul wa kulu qaulan sadida. Actually, that one. So all three verses are about taqwa. that's really interesting. That whenever a nikah is generally done, you talk about taqwa and the reason why that's important is that if both husband and wife the spouses if they focus on uh, if they fear Allah and if they do the nikah and they have their relationship for the sake of Allah then inshallah they will bless their relationship because when you do something for the sake of Allah you don't do it for selfish reasons of course this has to be learned when you do something for the sake of Allah you will do what pleases Allah You'll do what Allah wants you to do in that case, or you'll be looking for that at least. We can, make st- we can still make mistakes, but at least if we're going to try, we're going to ask, we're going to inquire, then that will be the case. So, for example, that should help to get suppress suppress a person's ego uh, and everything else that we've been speaking about. Uh, if you want to make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala happy, Allah loves it that you please somebody else. Allah loves it that you fig- forgive other people. Allah Himself is Halim, which basically means forbearing. Huge amount of patience. He allows so many things to happen before He takes revenge. So all of these are characters that we want to add for ourselves as well. And that is one of the best ways that will effectively benefit the marriage. So, before the marriage though, uh, just to cover the engagement period, when people get engaged, I just want to clarify that that is not a nikah, that is not a marriage. Engagement just means, okay, uh, you have been fixed up with this person. And uh, there is a hadith which mentions that when somebody has already is in advanced discussions with somebody else to get married or to buy something or sell something a business deal or something then nobody else should come in and try to uh, sway this or remove it yes if it's just initial discussion I'm looking okay I'm gonna go and see such a person then it's okay for somebody else to come and say oh but have you considered this person but once you have advanced discussions and it's like you're gonna commit because you have to have a discussion So after that you can't until it falls through if it falls through if you once you do get engaged a lot of people think that once we've committed to one another it's like engagement is like a commitment some people make such a big deal out of the engagement that they make it like a wedding in terms of the feeding the guests and the gifts and everything like that and that's totally not what it should be engagement is just okay you know where and the best thing is to make the engagement as short as possible so that you get fixed up and then you're going to get married soon. Long engagements are, uh, are dangerous because you feel you're connected to somebody now, but you're not really connected so you can still not act like husband and wife. You still have to act like strangers, right? but then some people take offense. There's one couple, they got engaged and one person in them, I can't remember if it was the husband or the wife, they were being very careful to keep it halal. The other side kept trying to uh, start conversations or do things and he wasn't responding because he was getting informal. So then the other side, the, the, those, who were making the, uh, those who were making the advances, they, they felt that he wasn't interested anymore. But all he was trying to do is just keep it halal. The reason is that marriage is something where two people are coming together and you need a special glue to keep them together. And that comes from Allah, that's the barakah. The best way to get barakah is to do everything according to the sunnah. And do no wrong in it at all, because you want this to work. You you don't want to cut corners, you don't want to take anything in your own hands. I don't want to influence this negatively at all. Believe me, this is... Because remember, we spoke yesterday about how big the idea of nikah is. That this is going to go right through your generations. The person you marry is going to be the mother or father of your generations to come. So you want to do that right. That's why what I, uh, there was a couple who were going to get married. So they, they came to have the discussions and everything. And mashallah, it was fixed up. So I know that they were going to speak and that's what we thought. And they, they voiced that as well. So this was a preliminary discussion. So we suggested that, why don't you just have nikah now? How can we have nikah when we haven't told everybody and it's, we haven't invited everybody? This is just a private discussion or agreement. So how are we going to have nikah? I said, it's okay. When you, uh, when you want to do the full reception and wedding, you can do another nikah then. So I said, how can you do another nikah? You can do hundreds of nikahs. You can do as many nikahs as you want with your spouse. A lot of people don't know this. In fact, some ulama like Ibn Abidin al-Shami he mentions that it is actually healthy, and I, you know, be careful how you take this. I don't want you to get paranoid about your nikahs, but he basically says that it is healthy to revi- uh, to refresh your nikah, tajdidun nikah, every so often. Why? Once you're married, why should you do tajdidun nikah? Tajdidun nikah just means the husband and wife are there, two witnesses. You don't need a mahar, you don't need a dowry, so it's not gonna Like, another 10,000, another 2,000, no, 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 no no dowry. And you just basically, ijab and qubul, the khutbah, ijab and qubul, and that's it, it's done. Why? The reason, he says, is because, um, I give you from an example. There was a big mufti in the Indian subcontinent, in India. There used to be a couple who used to come to him, and always with their problems. So he used to try to help resolve, counsel... You know, correct and so on. One day he says, I'm gonna do your nikah again. I'm gonna, they they'd been married for years. He says, I'm gonna redo re, your nikah. So, ijab and qubul, you know, the offer and acceptance. And he did that. And they stopped coming. After a while or something, he must have met the man. And he says, You know, how, how, most of our problems have been resolved. So, what was so special? Why did you do the nikah again? He said, the reason is that I realize that one of you or both of you say certain things which are blasphemous, kufri statements without realizing. You know, some people, they could say, oh, subhanallah, Allah only found my, my child to, to, to make sick. Now, when you complain against Allah or do something crazy like this, a bad statement against the Tawheed, against respect of Allah, that's kufr, but you don't realize it. Because everybody in your community may do that or in your family or tribe or something. And a lot of people do say these weird words without realizing because they haven't studied the aqeedah properly and nobody's clarified to them. So you lose your faith. When you lose your faith, your marriage breaks. But you refresh your faith the next time you do salat, for example. The next time you say, la ilaha illallah, because you are a Muslim. So the next time you pray or the next time you do tasbih or something, you've refreshed your faith. But... You don't know that it's broken, so you don't refresh your nikah. So your nikah is broken, so you're living in zina technically, even though you think you're married. And there's no barakah, so then there, there are problems. I've seen so many cases of a person who comes to me and says, I divorced my wife and it's the third divorce, so I gave three divorces. Generally when I prod uh, deeper, this didn't happen one time only. It's happened before. They've probably been divorced or they've been, had so many arguments that he said things which amount to a divorce. Like, get out of here, I don't want to ever see you again with an intention of divorce. Now, you didn't use the word divorce, but it is a divorce in particular context. They don't know that, so they don't do a nikah again. They sit together, they think that they're still married and there's no barakah. So they keep having problems. Uh, I'm not saying every case is like that. You can have problems with, w- while still being in nikah. They, uh, they just uh, understand me correctly. So, um, over the course of uh, the last 10 15 years, I've done several nikahs like this where they've been married but they felt that there was a doubt, so they did a nikah. Because you don't know, right? I'm not saying that every married person here now needs to go and do that, right? So, don't get paranoid about it, but be careful about statements you make and, and so on. So, you can have another nikah so alhamdulillah this couple i was speaking about where they were just getting engaged or agreed and i knew they were going to be talking and everything which is haram if it's informal when you get engaged with somebody you are allowed to have a formal conversation about matters related to the marriage a formal conversation formal which basically means that, okay, you know, this is, what are we going to do with this, or what do you think about it? important issues, minimally as, as, only as much as is necessary, absolutely. You can't start having a joke and, you know, romantic and all that. You're not married yet. Just do nikah, then it's all halal. Right? So that's why w- w- they agreed. So just with the, her parents, his parents, uh, two or three other people, we did the nikah. So alhamdulillah, they halal now. Right? And I, I, I told him that the sunnah is to give a walima. The walima is the man's responsibility, not the woman's responsibility. The woman doesn't have to give anything. She's giving herself. The husband is the one who has to pay the dowry. The husband is the one who has to then uh, pay for her upkeep, clothing, everything. The wife doesn't do anything. That's why Imam Razi, he says that. You know, in Islam, where women only get half the inheritance of men in some cases, like half the inheritance of brothers, the brothers get double that. He said it all works out at the end. Because if you look at it, a man is the one who's been spending all this time. Right? He's the one who's responsible. He's the one who has to pay a dowry. He's the one who has to pay the nafaqa, which basically means the expenses of the marriage, of the whole marriage, of the children, everybody. It's not the wife's responsibility. Right? Now in this one case, he gets more. So he says, "La fadla." He says there is no excess, there is no extra, right? When it comes to, um, uh, 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 if if you look at it in total, the the man has to just spend more. So that's the way he explains it. I'll take questions at the end. Um, uh, So, alhamdulillah, we did the nikah. Now some people. You see, the Prophet ﷺ had a nikah with Aisha when she was six. Then when she was nine, that's when she actually started living with him. So they were married, but there was no contact. She was too young anyway, there was no contact. There was no communication. So is it allowed to have a long, to have marriage, but no... Uh, what, what in some traditions they call rukhsati. Or in other traditions, when you start living together. That's allowed, but it's not advisable. I've seen too many marriages break in long engagements and even long separations like this. Sometimes it's necessary because uh, maybe somebody has to finish off school or somebody has to you know, buy a house. Or, understandable, right? In some cases, but where you don't have to do that, you should avoid that. Get married and just start living together. Just one couple right now, they were married. He was in another country. She was in another country. And they're breaking up. See, Because text messaging is very dangerous. Because in text all you have is words. And some people are not very careful with words. They, they, there's no emotions in unless you're, very, you're a very good writer, and you're very careful about what you write. Like when I write, I try to be very careful, because I'm trying to see how are they going to take it. But some people are just like, "No, yes, you know. Um, will you be coming "will?" and then the letter "you?" Right? You know, the, word, the, the letter you they don't write properly. So it gives a wrong impression. There's no emotion. You can write an emoji, you know, like one of those little weird symbols, but it doesn't do it. But when you're physically there, there's a lot more. And when touch is a very important thing between relationships touch, create, uh, hugging, holding hands, s- contact. This uh, provides the love hormone. So that helps as well. Now, when you're far away, all of that is very difficult. You you know you, you spend a lot of money on the phone and uh, texting and all this kind of stuff. So it's not advisable as far as possible. So um, when you then get married, what, <clears throat> what I want to talk about is that when you get married, what is the sunnah way of getting married? The nikah itself, what's the sunnah way? The actual sunnah, way of marriage, is very simple. It's so simple that you, you know, you'd be surprised. Everything else that you know people are so worried about, the nikah day, it's all because of different cultures. Some cultures the nikah is very simple, some cultures it's too complicated. Do you see what I'm saying? None of that is necessary. I'm going to tell you today what the absolute basic essentials are. And the more simpler you keep it, the less headache you'll have. Focus all of your energy for after the marriage. Why spend 40,000, 30,000, uh, or in your terms, three hundred, four hundred thousand? Right? 400,000? Because when I say 30,000 pounds, that's like 340,000 kroners. What's the point of one day? Why not give that to the couple to spend for themselves? Here we spend a huge amount for the day itself. I'm not saying don't spend nothing, you can spend a bit, make it special, but not a crazy amount, keep that for later. Some people take loans to do this, so they enter marriage with a debt. What's the point? You know, Give them the money, they can buy a house, or they can help to buy a house. People just don't think, but because your brother or your sister or your cousin did it, you must do it as well, you must do it better. Never fall for that, never be in competition in this world. Only competition should be for the akhirah, And once you make yourself independent like that, you will free yourself. You won't be a slave to competition. You will not be a slave to culture. Release yourself. Release yourself. Free yourself. Become free. Subhanallah. It feels so good. What is the nikah in Islam? The basics. Basically, you choose a day or you can do it straight away. Generally, you want to think about it, you want some preparation. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ encouraged that marriages be announced. In one hadith, announce them. Why should you announce a marriage? Because marriage is not supposed to be a secret relationship. The whole point of marriage is that everybody knows. So when they see you together, they know, like, okay, you're not committing zina. That's how important it is. Once the Prophet ﷺ is walking outside, with his wife, Safiyyah binti Huyay after Isha. So there were two Sahaba uh, at a distance, and when they saw the Prophet ﷺ with a woman, obviously she's covered, you don't know who she is, they, they started walking faster, as though, you know, like it may seem like we didn't see him. Right. <coughs> Who's he with? There was, there was no bad, necessarily bad intention. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, عَلَى <laughs> right? He said, wait up, إِنَّهَا صَفِيَّةِ بِنْتُ حُيَّيَيْ Right, <laughs> He made it very clear, he says, this is Safiya bin Hay, my wife, so don't think I'm with somebody else. Now, they said, you know, obviously, they, they didn't have any bad intention, but it's just to make it clear. He taught us a lesson of being careful like this. So the reason why you announce the wedding is so that everybody knows. That doesn't mean you have to call the whole world for your wedding, if you cannot do that. Yes, if you've got lots of money and you like to feed, not to show off but you like to feed people, then you can call 10,000 people if you want to. If you like to feed people and you got the money and no headache, then you can feed a whole stadium if you want to. But if you're doing it because somebody else did it, because otherwise people are going to say, you know, you didn't call me or whatever, then all of that, just forget that. That's not sunnah. To do it as an obligation is not a sunnah. The only reason you announce it, you can announce it in Jumu'ah, that's why the best place to have a nikah is in the masjid because there's going to be people there, you've announced it, right? It doesn't mean you have to put it into the papers. But generally the people who you're going to be dealing with know that now you're married. right? Therefore a marriage should not be contracted in secret. Uh, if you do contract a marriage in secret and you've, got, um, you, you've actually got the witnesses and the mahar, it will still be valid in most madhahib, But I think the Malikis are very strict about it. Uh, as far as I remember and they say I think they really discourage secret marriages completely right? even if it fulfills the conditions like if there's no a'lan if there's no announcement right? uh, according to a sharhul kabir of Imam Dardeed he says that a private nikah that is not announced may not even be valid this is the Maliki school so it's best not to of course sometimes you may be in a condition where you're going to commit zina so you have to do a marriage just to make it halal that's exceptional case Right. Anyway, the following now should be observed in the actual ceremony of the sunnah. Right? This, is, this is the basic sunnah. Number one, they say that the best place for a nikah is in the masjid. Because a hadith narrated by Aisha says that the messenger of Allah said, Announce this marriage. Perform it in the masjid. Perform it in the masjid. And in addition, beat the duffs on it. <coughs> this is, beat the duffs is not necessary, it's just that make sure it's announced so that people know. So, if in your tradition, beating the duffs means, okay, there's a nikah going on, right? Or it's a call to jihad. You know, it depends. You see what I'm saying? Because that, that's, they used to beat the duff for different reasons. Uh, that, that, you know, there's a call out, there's an attack on us, so we need to go, or it's a marriage. Nowadays you don't need to do that, nowadays you, you just make an announcement, there's a microphone, there's a speaker system And we have other ways to do it, so it's not necessary to do that And Duff doesn't mean that you then start playing music, all this romantic music right? That doesn't mean that, it's just a whole idea is an announcement, bang, 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 you know, that's the idea So perform it in the masjid, because performing in the masjid helps the announcement And of course it's a blessed location Why would you want to do your nikah anywhere else? Why not in the masjid in the house of Allah? You know, so that you get more barakah anyway. And uh, since marriage is also a form of worship, worships are best done in the masjid, because it's appropriate here. That's why the great Anatolian Hanafi jurist, originally Anatolian, uh, he is uh, Ibn al-Humam al siwasi who died in 861 Hijri. He adds that it should be also held on a Friday. It's best to do it on a Friday because you've got more people. right? He also clarifies that if you do use the Duff the Duff don't use it in the masjid, do that outside. Because the masjid is not a place to make a racket. right? And people in the masjid, they already know anyway. So the whole point of it is outside. Number two, the second aspect. Now this is not necessarily all sunnah, sunnah, but this is also recommendations. Number two, scholars and other righteous peoples could be invited to gain the blessings of their presence and their du'as. So try to have at least some righteous and pious people so you get their du'as as as well and their presence brings the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number three, the nikah itself technically can can be conducted by anybody but preferably conducted by a righteous person or a Muslim scholar. Again for barakah, but not necessary. Number four, this is necessary, at least two witnesses should be present in the gathering. Uh, Although, you know, when we generally have a nikah in a gathering, everybody's a witness. But the reason why you want to make two people the formal witnesses is because then you write their names down. So in the marriage certificate, if you're going to have one, is so that if there's a problem afterwards, then at least you can call on to them and say, did you witness it? Like as a formal witness. Otherwise, everybody's a witness. As long as you've got two people minimum there, it's, it's sufficient. Number five, the marriage payment, the, ma- the mahr or the dowry, should be stipulated beforehand. You don't want to negotiate uh, in the gathering. That's a bit weird to negotiate. Negotiate that beforehand. Now, different people have different customs about mahr, right? Once in my community, I was, in, I was uh, one of my good friends in the community. He was part of the committee. He said, Sheikh, you need to come to my house and do the nikah for my daughter. She was my student, Uh, I used to teach her before and then now she's getting married so I said, you know, I don't come to houses, I I like doing in the masjid in the houses you get somebody else he says, no, please, you know and then he explained to me he said, because in our culture, we have to negotiate It's uh, it's a Bataan culture, right, Pashtun culture we have to negotiate so what happens is I went so, uh, the girl's maternal uncle, her mom's brother, and the father was there, and I think his brother was there. But the maternal uncle, the mamu, he's, in, he's her wali, he's the guard, He's her re- representative. And the groom, the one who's going to get married, he's there with his father. And I spoke to him and he was afraid, because this is all about honor here. What happens is that they, they start with a very inflated figure, some crazy figure. Right? And then they push it down. Do you know this? No. Yeah, It starts off with some crazy, like thousands. Nobody's going to pay that much. But it's just to show my girl is very valuable. Right? Then they have to negotiate and bring it down to a comfortable level. So I said, and you know, sometimes it could take a few hours. <laughs> I said, I'm not staying here for a few hours. So I, I, I understood now that this was going to happen. So before everything started when everybody came together I gave a little talk and I talked about the importance of the Sunnah, the barakah of the Sunnah and everything and I said you can have any amount you want but the, you know you can go with Mahar of Fatima Mahar of the Prophet وسلم, his wives and again it's up to you what you want to do but this is just recommendations so now everybody's tense um, the so the first, the, the person who's got the right to speak is the bride's representative, which is her uncle. So he said, okay, what do you think? So he says, okay, you know what? I agree that it should be the mahr Fatimi, which is about eight, nine hundred dollars today. Right? It didn't start at a hundred thousand. Alhamdulillah. And come down to, you know. So you could, the, the groom, you could just see suddenly <laughs> you know, it was now one of my older older friends who was there. We said, "Okay, are you sure?" He said, "Yes, I'm 100% sure." Right? We asked the father, "Are you sure?" Because although he's not the representative, technically he's the representative, but the father he's got an honor issue. Are you Are you okay? He says, "Yeah, I'm okay." Right? I'm okay. So. A friend of ours, he says, "Look, you need to make sure that the father is okay because if he's not, then he's going to cause a problem later. That no, you didn't do it right, you know? No, the father said he's okay. Right? It was difficult, but it was okay. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, we managed to resolve it in half an hour. Right? That's the ease of the sunnah. Right? Um, so, the marriage payment should be stipulated beforehand, and the person performing the ceremony should be informed of this amount. So it, it could be stated." In the nikah ceremony it should be stated so it's clear that this is it. Now if you did not mention or even uh, negotiate a mahr payment amount, the marriage would still be done. right? But what payment would be necessary then? There, the, what they call the mahrul mithl comes in. If there's nothing mentioned, the mahrul mithl comes in. What's the mahrul mithl? mahrul mithl essentially is the default amount that would become automatically stipulated because no marriage can be done without a mahr. This is the way Allah has protected the women that you want to get married, you must give a mahr. How much? If you can't negotiate anything between you, then it's going to be mahrul mithl. And mahrul mithl is basically the average mahr that the women of the wife's family received. So her sisters her mother, her aunties. What is the average that they generally receive? That's going to become automatic. Do you understand? It was like around 5,000. That's automatic. Obviously, the mahr of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam called mahrul azwaj, the the marriage dowry that he's been known to have given the wives, his wives. Uh, That... And the Mahar of Fatima, although the Mahar of Fatima, there's the difference of opinion exactly, and anybody who wants to know this in detail, uh, there's lots of good articles about this, and I've got it in detail written in Handbook of a Healthy Muslim Marriage. Uh, and you, but it's approximately between, right now, it's between 700 to 900 pounds. Approximately. Less than 1,000 pounds. A woman can ask for anything she wants. And it's up to the husband, the, 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 the groom, to accept. But uh, it's not a good idea to do that. Now, in some cases, it may be a good idea to make that as an. In, uh, if, you're, if you're worried that this guy, he's known to just marry and then give a divorce and run away and then leave the woman without anything and she makes a big investment, you know? So in that case, you could have a safety net. So you could have a. Some people split the mahr. The dowry into two sections, the Mu'ajjal and the Mu'akhar. So right now you give 700 pounds, 500 pounds, 100 pounds, whatever, 100 dollars, whatever. And the Mu'akhar is deferred, delayed, on credit. That could be, again, 5,000, 10,000, some people say 40,000, whatever. As long as you agree and it's reasonable that will only become necessary if there's a divorce or if there's death. So if the husband dies or the husband divorces the wife, then that will become necessary. I I would only suggest that some, some people just have that in their culture. That's normal in their culture. Some Middle Eastern countries have that in their culture. It's not the sunnah to do that, but it's not against the sunnah if there's a reason to do it. I just personally would advise not doing that by default unless the woman is at risk to preserve her. That's why some masajid in the UK insist that you get a a, a, a marriage a government marriage permit uh, before the sheikh will do the nikah as well. Because what's happening is that many people are getting married; they're deceiving the women to get married to them, and then they just disappear. The woman has no recourse because there's no civil marriage registered in a non-Muslim country. In a Muslim country, I think everything has to be registered, in many Muslim countries, but in a non-Muslim country, it's not like that. So then they just run away. Now, if your women are in doubt about this, you should insist on registration. Because there's a lot of men, especially doing secret nikahs and that, you should be very careful. Because I've seen so many cases where young women, young girls, 18, 19, 20, 23, 24, and they get married to somebody, sometimes even a second wives, and then the guy just disappears. So you need a sense of security. Because for the guy, it's easy. He just disappears. He, he doesn't even have to divorce you. He can marry up to three more, technically. Whereas a girl, she can only be married to one person. So if he then disappears and you don't have a divorce, you're stuck. Then you have to go to a Sharia court and try to get a dissolution, fasqh, and all the rest of it. It's too complicated. So generally, women have to be much more careful about, be careful about uh, anything that is not ordinary. Number six. The bride should preferably appoint a representative uh, to conduct her uh, negotiations and so on. Such as, I mean, of course, there will be such as her father, uncle, brother, or any other elder to represent her. The, rep- the, the representative should be present in the guy. Ga- now, this is talking about the actual Nikah day. This is not talking about a, 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 um, negotiations. In that, the, 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 the woman herself and the man can speak together, right? But this is where you have to be very careful. You don't want to meet privately, and privately today is even in a coffee shop, unless you've got your father, brother, or somebody there, because a lot of people think if you're in a coffee shop, you're in the public. But public in Western countries, in liberal countries, is that let every leave leave them alone, let them do what they want, even if they're sitting eloping, kissing. Nobody's going to say anything, right? Nobody's going to tell you, please, can you just cover yourself? Or go and do it at home. You see what I'm saying? So, that's not really an excuse. Preferably always with somebody else. And the reason is that you don't want to get emotionally attached. It's not healthy for you. You don't want to get emotionally attached. Because you could get emotionally attached and then nothing works out and then you're emotionally, you're in trouble. So that's why preferably always with somebody else keep it formal so that you don't get into any informality or any other weird kind of relationship in that because just wait. Sabar, just wait, you get more barakah. So now on the day of the nikah, even Khadija, she was older than the Prophet by 15 years, uh, 25, yes, 40, 15 years. But she sent a representative, even though she had hired him before the marriage, she had hired him to do trade for her. And found out, wow, she, he's Amin. he's, mashallah, very, uh, very trustworthy. So then she <coughs> sent a proposal through a common person. She didn't say to him, hey, I want to marry you. Preferably not. Not to say that's, uh, if somebody, if that's the only way for some people to do it, it will work. But it's best to always go through somebody to keep a buffer. To keep a buffer until you're married, then take everybody out of your relationship and it's just you two, you know. So according to, uh, now you have to remember the representative of the wife should be present in the meeting. So she makes somebody a representative, her uncle, her brother, her father, uh, to, to basically do the ijab and kabul on her behalf, to do the offer and acceptance on her behalf. That's the best way to do it. The wife could technically do it herself, right? But um, according to the Hanafi school, the consent of an adult woman is necessary. And without that, she cannot be married off by her father or guardian. The, even the father doesn't, is not allowed to marry off his daughter, who is a mature woman. Right? He's not allowed to marry her off without her consent. If he did, he says, I'm gonna, just going to do a nikah. It doesn't tell her. Get, you come along and say, like, I'm going to marry you to my daughter. He absolutely." absolutely. Right? When she finds out, if she rejects it, the marriage is broken. It, it doesn't work. If she says, yeah, he's not a bad guy, okay, fine. That's a good gift you gave me, Bismillah, then it's okay. Right? The Prophet ﷺ said, a virgin is not to be married off until her permission is sought. So they asked, how do you get her permission? Said her silence. So generally you expect virgin women to not be like, yeah, yeah, wonderful, absolutely, right? I've been, that is the guy I wanted. Generally they're going to be like a, an embarrassed smile. So that means yes. Don't force them to say yes, unless it's a, unless they, th- their facial expression is a horrific, like what are you doing? But they're so fearful of their father or whatever. Then that is not considered to be an acceptance. Okay, number seven. When the bride appoints a representative, you know, before the nikah ceremony, uh, two people, her uncle, her brother, somebody's going to come to her and say, can we? You know. Uh, make me uh, the father representative to conduct your nikah. In the Shafi school, is different. He doesn't need her to make him a rebel because he has the right to marry her off. So in the Shafi school, there's ikhtilaf in the Madahib here, a difference. For the Shafi school, he doesn't have to take permission from her. He can marry her off as long as she's not been married before. He's got the right to do that, right? But in the Hanafi school, because you have to take a permission, you have to go and say. Even though you're preparing everything for the marriage, everybody knows you have to say, do you make me the reference to, to do your nikah in the masjid this Friday, right tomorrow, today, whatever it is, to such and such a person. And she says, yes. Preferably, not necessary, preferable to have two witnesses there. Why? Because he goes and does the nikah, and later on that day she says, I didn't tell you. So that's why you need the witnesses. Otherwise it's not necessary. Number eight. Once everybody's together in the masjid, so imagine this is a marriage ceremony, right? Who's gonna Who wants to get married? We'll do it. Um, you want to get married? Not yet. You're about to say yes, weren't you? Yeah? Okay. Um, we're not here for marriage making or matchmaking, so unfortunately not. But um, When you're all together, you've got the groom, you've got the, the father or the brother, the uncle for the wife side, right if the wife is even there that's fine if they've got a you know if they've got the facility in a masjid and the wife is the 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 bride is even there the rest of the family that's fine but here officially her father is representing her for example and then you have the two witnesses and then you know you can have more people uh, sitting there then the imam or whoever it is will be re, uh, will recite the khutbatul Hajjah, which i explained earlier and this includes obviously the three verses of taqwa from surah ali imran nisa and ahzab and they may add a few hadith or some nasiha whatever the case as as you see but it's not necessary right and then he will basically ask the representative that do you give uh, do you give approval consent to your daughter your sister whoever her name is marriage to such and such a person you mentioned him by name and this person will say Uh, He will ask then the the person, are you agreeing to marry such and such a person in your uh, marry uh, with this much dowry amount in front of the witnesses and he'll say, yes, it's done. Now there are technicalities here in the way it can be done. It can be done slightly differently as long as the conditions are fulfilled and that is fine. You must make the person say, I accept her. And people should hear the name of the bride because... If it's, do you accept to marry her and there's no discussion about her, he could turn around and say, I didn't accept her, you know, or something like that. So just the names have to be mentioned or people should know who we're talking about. So generally they will make the groom say, her I accept her, right I marry her, Uh, her you know, you don't have to say all words, you can say anything accept that yes I've accepted and it must be done in an absolute way not that um, I will marry her like in the future then that's not accepted it has to be like a term of certainty I've married her I've accepted her yeah. number 10 the imam and everybody else should then make the following dua BarakAllahu <laughs> lak or baraka wa jamaa may Allah bless you have his blessings descend upon you and unite you together in goodness, as related by Imam Tirmidhi. Then he could do more du'as or whatever, and then, um, then after that, whatever you want to do is all culture. It's up to you. You know, uh, you can meet one another. You can meet and greet the groom and greet the father and all the rest of it. Everything else that the husband's family is now responsible to give every member of the bride's family, a pair of clothes, different cultures have different things, all of that is not necessary. There's only one thing which I understand, in some cultures when you get married, the man he gives a mahr, but he's also told to give like three or five pairs of clothing for the wife. I used to think that was pure culture, but actually that could be Islamic. I don't know, do you guys have that in your culture where you have to give them clothing? But the culture of giving your wife clothing before the marriage, where it comes from, i figured it out, is that it's not pure culture. Once your wife becomes yours, it's your responsibility for everything. So she should not be obliged to come even with her own clothes. See what I'm saying? That you pay for her clothes as well. You're showing like these are three pairs or five pairs of advanced clothes that you're going to come into the marriage with. You're not obligated. Can you see how much Allah... Has kept the man's responsibility, and the wife just comes bust her body, that's it. You come. We'll pay you, we'll give you everything. But unfortunately, all of this is lost. In the feminist narrative, all of this is lost. (laughs) Nobody worries about this. In some families, in some cultures, they give a mahar amount and then have a gold amount separate. So I don't tell people like, why don't you just make it all mahar? Why you call that something else? And then some people say we give that goal to use. Some say we give it as a gift, lots of con- communication, lots of confusion. It needs to be very clear as to whose is what. So that, that's it. Now in the marriage contract, you can have a written contract. It's good to have a marriage contract, but it's not necessary, obviously. As long as people know, then you're nikah, your marriage, but sometimes you will need a marriage contract for legal purposes. Right? Um, what I want to talk about now quickly. The next point, before I take a few questions, is the first night, once you get married, have you noticed that when a couple now get married, because after this gathering, they're halal for one another, how long did it take? I know it took me long to explain it, but how long did the ijab and qubul take? The offer and acceptance, the, the gathering where the imam, how long, how long does it take? Two minutes. It could it could take one minute, and that's it. Halal now. You know when you, as a groom, say, "I accept." It's a big thing. It's like suddenly everything that's haram now becomes halal for you. Not everything, but those things within marriage it become halal for you. It's it's a very important it's a very important I do or I accept. Now what happens in cultures is that the girl will be taken and they will get ready, her ready and then these big functions and everything and poor guy doesn't get to see her until the night when she's all tired. Right? You know That's why think outside the box and um, if, however you want to organize this, that's up to you. All the rest of this is now culture. The only other thing which is, there's a few things which is sunnah. Sunnah in the sense that the Prophet sallallahu he took his daughter to Ali radiallahu an. Again that's based on convenience whatever you can do it's not necessary for them He then sat between them on the bed and he basically gave them some advice Right that's mentioned as well Another thing is the walima that's a sunnah And the walima is awlim walaw bishat is the man's responsibility not the girl's responsibility if the, girl, if the girl's family just basically let her go and do the nikah and everything, they don't have to pay any money for anything else. Right. But generally in many cultures, the tradition is that when you get married, generally first, the wife's family, they will feed everybody. And that's fine if they want to do that. Then the husband will do the feeding after he gets his wife. After mm. they've spent a night. Which is understandable because walima is to thank Allah mm. For the blessing that he's given you of now being able to be with your wife. It's a, it's a vote of thanks almost. Walima. That's what you call a walima. Generally a walima according to many scholars cannot be done or should not, is not sunnah to be done before you've been alone with your wife. Do you see what I'm saying? It's about thanking Allah after you've been with your wife. Now to give walima. Walima, as I said, could be given for five people, two people, a hundred people, whatever is easy and convenient for you for, uh, out of your goodwill. I'm so excited that I'm, I want to feed 500 people. That's fine. As long as it's not for the wrong reason. But it's the man's responsibility. Of course, if the bride's side says that, look, we, let's just have one. Uh, we want to feed as well. We don't want to have two sessions, two receptions, two programs. Let's join together and do it. That would be fine as well. That would be they contribute some, and and a lot of people are doing that now. Uh, Personally, I just I would like it that I do my walima, because it's matter of my sunnah that I want to do it. What happens in long engagements, and not long engagements, when you get married but you're only going to be together later on? You know, when you get married. And then you're going to be together later on. Or sometimes people get married in a very low-key nikah. They just get married. But because some uncle is not present or some brother is not present, they're going to do the big reception afterwards. Public, you know. So what I generally suggest there is that that won't be a walima anymore because you've already been with your wife for a few months. So as soon as you get married and you've been with your wife, you just feed a few people walima to follow the sunnah. call a few friends, take them out for dinner, whatever. This is my walima done, sunnah done. Walima should also be done within one, two, three, maximum like four days. Do you understand? A walima has to be done straight away. After you've been consummated with your wife. After a month, that's not a walima. It doesn't mean that you can't feed, but it's not a walima. The sunnah is to do it as soon as possible.